Hello, this is Scott Jens. Welcome to Sandbox Stories. Hello, welcome to this Sandbox Stories interview, which has got some really amazing guests. These are two newly graduated ODs from the Illinois College of Optometry, Dr. Kim Fazio and Dr. Chelsea Goodman. And we're going to first talk to you, Dr. Kim Fazio. Hello and welcome to Sandbox Stories. Hi, nice to, nice to be here with you. And I want you to know that you're the first person to call me doctor besides my family out loud. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. <laughs> how does it feel? Like, what is that feeling? I mean, every OD that's listening to this remembers that day, but how does it feel? No, it's exciting. It's exciting because I've only gotten to write it down in one place. I put my name on an invitation, a wedding invitation as Dr. Fazio, but I haven't heard anybody say it out loud yet other than my family. So it's exciting. Wow. That is exciting. Dr. Fazio, welcome. Uh, tell <laughs> us a little bit about where you're from and where you went to undergrad before you going to optometry school. Okay, so I am kind of all over the place. I grew up upstate New York um, and then lived on Long Island for the entirety of my middle school and high school career. Um, but I, I'm a proud Penn State undergrad, um, almost sometimes too proud. So now I am, um, after doing school in Chicago, I'm moving back to Pennsylvania just because I love this so much. So if I say we are, it I'm going to say Penn State right back at you. <laughs> it just comes out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about your ICO training, your optometric training, not related to the COVID area that you went through, but what was your most compelling, most memorable part of being in optometry school? I think uniquely to me, um, I was the president of the student association which is kind of a three-year trek. So you start off as a first year, you try to get your feet wet by being a class representative, which basically just means you're a liaison between ICO and you know the, the board and then your own class. Eventually, though, I applied to become president, which meant that I was the number one liaison between um, you know ICO, student association, all of the classes below me and above me, and um, like administration. So, you know, the second year and the third year, they each had their different responsibilities. But basically what it did for me was it taught me a level of professionalism and networking and um, just more than just the hands-on education. Um, I got to sit in a room with the Alumni Association, the Board of Trustees. I learned the ins and outs of the college, which was, I think, unique that you know not a lot of other people had. So that definitely added to my education because it allowed me to jump into the business aspect, jump into the networking aspect, you know, learn how to talk in a room full of people. I, prior to becoming president, was terrified to speak, public speak and speak in front of a crowd, even my own class. And I think by the end of that, I, I you know, I'm, I'm good now, obviously, or else I wouldn't be doing this, I don't think. Yeah, that's such an important part of becoming a student is learning that professional aspect. As you went through your optometric training, how did you grow in your understanding of what it was like to be a professional? Was it through the staff doctors and residents sort of teaching you that in front of the patient, um, 
sort of OD way? Or did you have other mentors outside as well that, that influenced you? ICO is unique because you start out as a first year just following the older students. And so, you know, you're timid in the corner and you're watching how things work and you look at them and they seem so, so confident, like years beyond what you think you're able to achieve in that short time there. And then you blink and then it's you. And so it's kind of just you're thrown into it so early that you don't really have a choice other than to just adopt whatever else you see around you. And if you have a good mentor as that first third year that you shadow, then, you know, you're set up for the rest of the time that you're there. I think for other people that maybe that was a little intimidating for them, they they grow within their second year um, as being partnered with somebody. So, you, you know, if you're not confident yourself, you start to emulate the person that's that's with you. Or if you're the one leading the exam, then you lead by example and that person kind of comes with you. And then by the time that you're a third year, I think you're just so ready to be on your own because you're sick of letting other people do it for you. Or maybe you don't want someone scribing for you. Or maybe you just are so sick of having to wait for the other person to go and, you know, do their thing. It's time for you to do your own thing. So I think they they do it right in that, like, by the time you're a third year, you're 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 ready to go. You're excited. I want to hit on that. That is a yeah. difference compared to a lot of optometrists who went to school, say, more than 10 or 15 years ago. You're starting to yeah. get patient care experience in your first year. Yes. Yeah. And and not even, you know, not just the patient education or, you know, the listening to how the exam goes back and forth. You're allowed to do skills your first year. In fact, you have to, you know, complete a checkoff list. So as you begin to learn the skills in lab, once you complete a skill, you're, you're more than welcome to, to complete that in patient care. And so if you're confident, you're going to go in, you're going to complete four skills in a session, you're going to get signed off on it, and then, you know, you've got that under your belt. So it, it gets easier as the time goes. For me personally, the last thing you have to do as a first year is present to the attending doctor, which interestingly is harder than talking to the patient. Um, but once you get your first one done, then, you know, you're good to go for the rest of the time. How do students that have been graduating in this era understand how optometry's laws and regulations impact your ability to practice? I think some more than others. I think it's a very niche thing when you're in school. Either you decide to be part of the IOA or the AOA in a way that allows you to be involved in around all of that. Um, I know there's a lot of people in school that are, that's, that's what they do. They dive headfirst into that aspect. Um, but if you're not, you know, leading the AOA in school, the student, you know, the part of the student association in the AOA or the IOA, whatever it is, if you're not affiliated with that really, or you choose not to be, you don't really get to hear a lot about it. And mm. as far as I'm concerned, my job was more at the school level. You know, I worked really closely with the student rep for AOA, but that was their thing. And I, I tried my very best to be involved in it. I got to go to AOA one year and be a student delegate. Um, that was as that was as far as my knowledge went, and even that felt extremely overwhelming to me. I personally looked at that more of a, as a, a networking opportunity. I went around and I talked to all the delegates from New York and Pennsylvania, and and that's you know how I approached that situation. Listening to how laws get passed and listening to you know people, uh, I don't know, debating back and forth about what things should be passed was over my head and above my you know, pay grade at that time. <laughs> um, so it, it's definitely interesting. I don't think we have quite an understanding of it, though. 
What do you think today's practicing optometrists who've been out of school for a while do not understand about today's optometric training? I, I've seen this um, even within my time on externship. Our training is more medical-based now. Maybe, you know, even just niche to ICO, but it's more medical-based as far as, you know, diabetes, glaucoma, retina. That is the focus right now. And I think the art of VV and refraction is kind of taking a backseat for this graduating you know, class in this graduating time period. And I think that that tends to give a lot of, um, you know, it tends to ruffle people's feathers, I think, because, you know, you expect graduating people expect to come out and um, a lot of them are going to go into corporate. A lot of them are going to go, you know, right into that kind of corporate optometry field just to start paying off their loans. Um, but that's not where they want to be. I think it's very clear that they want to be within the medical side of things. They want to be at an ODMD practice. They want to work at a VA hospital. They even want to be hospital affiliated um, because the medical side is just so appealing now. Um, it, it brought in the scope of optometry even within the last 10 years. And I think you know it, it would be sad for the graduates to not be able to come out and and practice what they did while they were at ICO in Chicago. So they, they seek that. Um, but I think graduates over, you know, 10 years and over, they get mad because they think that we're not paying attention to the art of infraction and the art of BV and, and all those little skills because they say, well, that's just you guys, you know, ophthalmologists can do the medical side. But, you know, the relationship between us and ophthalmologists, I think, is, is, is um, shortening a little bit. This, you know, we're getting closer in the things that we do. So. That's great. Tell us a little bit about student debt. To the degree <laughs> that you want to share detail, it's, I think, an important perspective for people to understand. Yeah. Uh, not going to say the number, but I, I was fortunate to have undergrad taken care of for me. Um, my stepdad served 32 years in the Air Force. And so I got his GI Bill, and thanks to Penn State, they matched that and covered my entire cost of school. So that was lucky for me, um, but I did incur all cost of ICO. So if you just look up the cost of ICO per semester, you'd be able to figure out how much I owe that. Um, I did get the opportunity to have a $10,000 a year trustee scholarship, which at the time I thought, wow, $10,000, that's really not a whole lot. And now I'm looking at my total and I'm like, thank goodness for the, you know, less of 40,000 that's not there. Um, that's great. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a huge number. It's something that you look at and you're like, I don't know how I'm supposed to tackle this for the rest of my life. But even just speaking, you know, graduates that are over 10 years, my uncle being one of them, he, he looks at his student payment as just another bill. So that's kind of the mentality that I've had. It's something that I've always, I'm always going to be responsible for. And if I pay it off faster than that, then that's good for me, but I'm not going to let it kind of deter me from what I want to do. Um, I've been doing research recently into how I want to do my payment plan because I am starting residency. I do have to do that, you know, before July 1st, I have to start all of that before July 1st. Um, I chose an income driven payment plan so that I'm always it's all relative. I'm always responsible for exactly what I can afford, exactly what I can uh, take care of. And being income driven allows you for the opportunity to do a public service repayment plan. So if I do 10 years at the VA or some form of nonprofit um, community health area, I qualify for a repayment plan. So I pretty much set myself up. So I have all of those opportunities 
whatever I do, I'm always, you know, not in over my head and I have all options open basically. Very wise, very wise. <laughs> and, and let's talk about your optometry options post-graduation. You said you're going to be doing a residency. Did you look broadly at your alternative options or was it just, I'm doing a residency? Tell us about that. <laughs> I had pretty much all options open. Um, my uncle upstate New York owns a practice and I could have just, you know, worked my way into that. Not saying that he was going to hand it to me, but that he would, I would be able to, you know, work under him for a little bit um, if I had no other options out of school. I'm more of an independent person. I like to do my own thing. I don't necessarily want to rely on moving back to where my family's from. Um, I want to see if I can make, you know, a space for myself in Pennsylvania. I I started externships with the idea that I, I wanted to work at an ODMD practice. And only because I'm so interested in the medical side of things, coming from ICO, you get a medical education first and foremost. And so your your knowledge of glaucoma and diabetes and retina, you'd put it to waste if you just went to a normal, you know, lens crafters, not hating on lens crafters, but you would you would miss out on all the things that you just came out of school knowing. Um after speaking to some people, they pretty much told me that to work at an ODMD practice, you need a residency because you need some way. There's so many people that are interested nowadays in ODMD that you need some way to differentiate yourself. You need to set yourself a little bit higher than the person next to you because you have the same education coming out. So residency was that option. Um, it morphed into me wanting to open up the opportunity to work at a VA because of the repayment plan and because of how much I enjoyed the VA and the VA setting. Um, and again, in order to do that, you need to be VA trained in a residency. So for me, it felt like I needed to do a residency in order to give myself all available options, no matter what I decided to do. I never wanted someone to look at me in an interview and say, um, you know, everything is the same, but this person's residency trained, so we're going to take them. I never wanted to you know, have that happen. So I figured it's one year of my life. It's, you know, it's quick. It goes quick. So I just. I decided on a residency. Uh, my hope is that as more <laughs> graduates like you with this type of education go into all types of practice, including corporate uh, retail locations, that there will be more um, of an expansion of those kinds of medicalized services, even in a lens crafters, than yep. perhaps has been stereotyped from 20 years ago. And I really see yep. some of that in some of our colleagues. And I encourage all of those doctors to do as you said, right? I mean, expand what you do for patients. And I guess I'd leave with one last question. Is there some sort of a specialty skill that you've come out of optometry school that you're really hoping to hone in on as you go through yeah. your early career? Absolutely. I am so beyond interested in low vision. I think that, and it's funny because I didn't get a huge low vision experience. Like you get the little niche quarter at ICO where you have a little bit of low vision, but I just think it is so easy to do and it allows you to connect your, with your patients on a level that just sets you apart from everybody else. Um, I'm also hoping that having a specialty will set you apart in an interview. I think there's so many amazing students graduating right now and we all know the same things and I'm hoping that if I have you know a specialty like I'm interested in low vision and somebody else could be interested in contacts that will start to separate people because there are a lot of people with really successful educations, really great professionalism. I mean, it's a, it's a good class. So I wanted some way to separate myself. And personally, I think 
you know, every one of your patients is different. And if you can tailor your exam to them, that's what you do in a low vision exam. And that's just, I, that is me in a nutshell. I really, I really enjoyed that. So the residency I'm doing is, um, has a immersive, like two week summer camp in low vision. They have a full low vision rehabilitation center at the VA and I'm extremely excited for it. Well, and you said it's easy to do. What I really think you mean, if you don't mind me asking, is it's easy to make a substantial impact on the patient because there's so few resources available to them, right? Right. Well, that and the fact that there's a lot of tips and tricks on an iPhone, like an iPhone setting that can enhance a low vision patient's lifestyle that you can do if you're not a low vision (laughs) specialist. I would rather you do that in the exam than refer to a low vision specialist and have them tell them the same thing that you could have told them and that builds your relationship with them too. So I think it's something that everyone should be practicing just like we do a little bit of contacts and a little bit of, you know, back of the eye, a little bit of retina, a little bit of everything. I think that should be added to a little bit of everything. That's the beauty of optometry, a little (laughs) bit of everything in the primary care of the patient. Dr. Kim Fazio, Your public speaking problems are definitely well (laughs) behind you. You did a great job. Thank you for joining us on Sandbox Stories. Thank you so much for having me. And now we're talking to Dr. Chelsea Good, another 2021 ICO graduate. Welcome to Sandbox Stories, Dr. Good. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so thrilled to have you here. And and having gotten done talking to Dr. Fazio, we're going to sort of layer another level of insight from recent graduates of 2021 in with your insights. First, let's get to know you. Where are you from and where did you do your undergrad? Yeah, so I'm actually from Michigan, uh, a little bit south of Detroit. Uh, My undergrad was kind of all over the place. I worked full time. So I took classes wherever they offered it in the area, whether it was the community college or local universities or even um, some universities online until I finished all of my bachelor's degree and then prereqs for optometry school. And then you worked in an optometry practice at some point or yeah, ODM as, uh, practice, I guess? MDOD, um, private practice, yep, in Ypsilanti, Michigan, which is really close to Ann Arbor, Michigan. A lot of people know it because U of M is there. Um, so yeah, I did that for six years while I was going to school. Um, and then that's how I ended up switching over. I was originally going for nursing with my bachelor's degree and then I was teching in the MDOD practice and then I ended up loving it. So I switched everything over and that's why it took me a little bit longer too. Cause after my bachelor's degree was done, I still had some prereqs that I needed to finish up for optometry school. So I just kept working while I finished all those too. So that's awesome. Yeah. And, and along the path of your education process, you found that you were really growing at each step. And I'm curious if there was a particular doctor or resident in your optometry training that really impacted you the most and, and how did they impact you? Yeah, I think, well, the main reason I chose optometry, I was with ophthalmology and optometry, um, but I had an optometrist that I worked with, Dr. Dowd, who really inspired me to mm. um go along the field of optometry. I just liked the personability, I think a little bit more um, that I saw with her side of things and like the scope of practice. As far as your patients, you see, it's a lot more of a wider range. um, Whereas I felt ophthalmology was a lot more geriatric and I like a healthy mix of everything. Um, So she really inspired me and she actually helped me with so much as far as applying and writing my entrance papers and everything like that. So, and then the MDs I worked with, I loved too, because it was just like a healthy mix. Um, Because sometimes I feel like MDs and ODs don't always get along super perfect. 
Um, and there's the stigma of, you know, they can't get along, but really they were great together. And I think that's what I, I learned and I love the most about the MBOD practice I was at was that they just worked so well together. And so I knew even if I did choose optometry that, you know, I had MDs to lean on if I needed advice or things like that. And um, they fully supported me going into optometry school. They were actually really excited for me. So um, I think I just had a full support office, a full office that was supporting me. So that was cool. So you get to optometry school. You went to Illinois College of Optometry. And yep. obviously it's got great clinical experiences, but also a lot of medical experiences because of the Illinois Institute. I think that, you know, every optometrist going back 10 years, 20 years, 30 years thinks their education was really in-depth, really steep. But what would you tell, say, docs that are my age, you know, from 30 years of graduation ago, how it's different from, in your perception from men, what about optometry school is what you sense, you know, sort of the new way of teaching it and, and learning it? Yeah, I think it's just more medical based, you know, it's more full scope optometry, whereas, you know, each year they always talk about how they're pushing for us to be able to do more and more things. And some of the optometrists that taught us said, when they were in optometry school, they weren't even allowed to use dilation uh, drops and things like that. So it was really interesting to think Way that, back. you know, you weren't even allowed to dilate someone and look at it. So I feel like it's constantly evolving to be more full scope and the medical side. Um, so I think that that's probably the biggest difference that, I mean, in my understanding, obviously I don't know everything as far as what you guys learned versus us, but all the optometrists that worked with us at school, they would constantly say, you guys are so lucky to be able to be doing these things and learning these things now because we just didn't get to do that. So, I think that there was some research that was expected of optometry students way back when. Is there a lot of research expected of students as they go through their training? Um, I think it's more so just keeping up on all of the research and being able to understand which articles and things are reliable versus not and keeping up with all the most recent studies, whether it's medications or treatment or, um, you know, how, how you should treat diseases and things like that. I think that's the best thing, but I think the professors are really good about, um, teaching us which articles we should rely on when we're giving patient information and things like that. So did you or any of your classmates do research projects at the college? Yeah, that's actually one of the requirements. We all had to do a research project. Um, some people chose to do like an independent research where you just basically looked up the information in patient charts that we already had. And then some of us did new research. Like our research project, for example, was compa comparing two different mistrata paddles and like patient comfort and things like that. A lot of the doctors have their own research that they want to do. And then they kind of rely on us students to um, go about getting it done. And some people actually get their research published and things. I actually passed my research project down to underclassmen. So sometimes mm. it's like a two or three year process before the research is mm. completed. And it's kind of fun because then you get to pass it down. And yeah, so that's cool. Yeah. When we, when we spoke with Kim earlier, she was telling us that, you know, it's not uncommon for optometry students to not really be aware of how optometry laws and regulatory issues were passed and how the profession advanced. Um, but I guess I'd be curious, do you know of any of your classmates who chose to go to a state because of their ability to do something they learned where they couldn't in another or alternatively where they're skipping going to a state because of, of laws? Or is it is it not quite that clear cut to you, you and your classmates as they get out of school? I feel like it's more um, people that came from states that can't do a lot of things that they wanted to do. 
Um, like I know some friends of mine from California were kind of wanting to get away from that because they didn't have as full scope as we do here. Or if they did, it's a lot harder to do those things. Um, but I definitely know a lot of people at least chose residencies in states like Kentucky or Oklahoma, where they're allowed to, you know, practice more full scope, like doing lasers and, and things like that, that you can't do in a lot of other states. So yeah, absolutely. There were students that chose to go that route based on what they could and couldn't do. So. I'd like to ask you about what it was like to get almost two, two of your academic years influenced by COVID. Um, I'm sure it infected clinical externships. Um, you're going to be one of, you know, really only one or two school years of, of graduates that had that kind of impact. What, what should we understand about how hard that was? I think I was very lucky that I had clinical experience, experience prior um, because I did have a lot more patient interaction and things like that. I personally don't feel like it hit our class as hard as it did underclassmen. Our class was always like, we're very thankful that we are graduating when we are um, because we were seeing patients all through first, second, and third year. And I think it, you know, we still had that good foundation. Whereas the underclassmen, um, there are some students that are going into their third year that have only seen a total of eight patients. And when we were going into our third year, we were closer to two, 300, you know? Um, so I don't think it impacted us as much, except for when we were doing our externships, a lot of us had to move. So I was supposed to be living at home for most of mine and I had it set up perfectly. Everything was going to work out great. And then it got, my first site got canceled. I had to move to Indiana instead of staying at home. So that put a little bit more sense because I was paying rent when I wasn't planning on it. I was, you know, traveling back and forth. And that happened to a ton of us. We um, had to go to a different externship site that wasn't planned on. So I think that's more so what our struggles were, were just you had to go with the flow and just whatever is thrown yeah. at you, you had to do it, um, which was fine. But I think it's more so going to affect the underclassmen because they just don't have that patient experience that we got. Um, but it's definitely, you know, I feel like it was hard either way. And I was used to clinic rolling a certain way and I was really in the flow of things. And now you're dealing with PPE and all this extra cleaning and an exam that normally would have took you 30 minutes is taking you an extra 20 minutes to do all this extra wipe down and cleaning and making sure that everyone's distanced enough to do things. So I also think that affects your time. You know, we are trying to learn how to be efficient at fourth year we're putting all the pieces together, but also want to learn how to be efficient. And I think that that made it a lot harder to learn yeah. how to be quick, you know? So, yeah. yeah. To the degree you want to share, tell us your perspective about student debt and your ability that you think you'll have to repay it. Yeah. So student debt is a little bit of a slap in the face. Uh, personally, I am $275,000 in debt, uh, which is a big number to take in, especially knowing what I could buy and do with that amount of money. I am personally very fortunate that I did things a little bit backwards. Um, my fiance uh, was always very good with money and he has a house that's paid off. So I don't have a house payment. I don't have a car payment. And so all of my salary that I'm going to be making is just going to go straight on to my loans. Um, so I'm very fortunate with that. Um, since, you know, I, I did life first and then school and now I'm going back to life. So I did set myself up at least somewhat well in that sense, uh, working full time for a good amount of time and things like that before school does help. But 
it's still a bit of a slap in the face when you get that email that t tells you your total debt of, you know, this is what you need to pay back. So it's yeah. still going to be hard, you know, even with the setup that I already have going, still going to be tough, but yeah. You know, looking for opportunities after graduation has been back in the, you know, over time has always been a challenge for students that come out of optometry school. And I think that doctors that are out in the environment looking for graduates to join their practice feel like the younger generation doesn't quite understand what it takes. So, you know, there's sort of this almost misalignment from what doctors that, and employers are looking to get and what students are looking to do. Yeah. But you went through this interesting thing where you went with the optometric uh, Michigan Optometric Association listings, and you looked on Facebook and communicated, and you were trying to find an opportunity. What did you ultimately decide to do now that you're starting this career? Yeah, so I chose a private practice, which that's mainly where I wanted to go. Um, okay. I knew that's what I wanted to do. I came from private practice. Thankfully, I tried all the different settings. You know, I worked a little bit of each with my externships, and private practice is just where I wanted to be. So that's really where I applied um, all of to all the places I applied with private practice. Um, I'm in a private practice. It's a one doctor that owns three practices. And mm -hmm. I will eventually, once I'm comfortable enough, be at one practice location by myself. And then he, you know, takes care of the other two with another doctor. Um, so right now he's very much helping me get used to the flow of the practice and make sure I feel comfortable being by myself before I'm left by myself. And then obviously I can reach out to him and the other doctor and doctors I know in the area as well. So um, just a very small setting that I'll be in. That's great. Well, yeah. I, I know that that sort of trying to find a match is hard as a success uh, to you. Yes. And, and yeah. one last thing, before our interview, you had said, hey, I'm one of the most honest people you'll ever interview. So let's <laughs> conclude this chat by talking about how you think you'll envision using that honesty to impact our profession. Is there something you hope to be able to do with it to advance optometry? Yeah, I mean, I just always want to help patients in ways that I best can. So I think it's, I, I need to learn and grow a lot before I feel like I can use that more to my advantage. Um, I definitely feel like we don't, as students, know everything that it takes behind the scenes to allow our full scope and things like that. So I think I have a lot to learn before I'll be able to help with that. But I think my biggest thing right now is just being honest with patients because I've seen a lot of um, people just beating around the bush or don't wanna tell patients exactly how it is. And yeah, sometimes you need to bring things on lightly, but I also just hated so much sitting there and just wanting to tell a patient exactly what I would say. And so I think that that's gonna be my biggest thing. And so far, even on externships, when I would tell patients things, they would say, oh my goodness, no one's ever told me that before. Or it just seems like they didn't wanna be honest. And so I think, now, obviously not everyone does that, but I think there is a lot of people are just scared to get certain reactions out of people and they try to put, plead, or do things lightly, I guess is the best way. So I, you know, hope to use that to my advantage. Treating your patients the way you want to be treated will always help you win. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Chelsea, thank you so much for sharing your stories. Uh, Dr. Goodman, as it is, and also <laughs> Dr. Kim Fazio, we're very grateful for you to have shared your stories. Thanks very much. Yes. Thank you. And to the audience, thanks for attending and thinking about the world through the lens of our new graduates, the future of our profession. Until my next Sandbox story, be great at all you do.